This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. One element of the design world that has always impressed me is how interconnected we all are. An amazing array of talents and skilled workers goes into creating any beautiful home. But at a time of crisis such as this, a single project that is canceled or delayed affects so many people. It is not unlike a line of dominoes, each toppling the next. And all too often, it is the individual craftsmen and small makers, the ones whose work brings so much distinction and style to a home, who are at the end of the line and are most likely to be hurt. How can we sustain these artisans and makers through this crisis and ensure that we don't lose their skills and unique sensibilities and style? I'm pleased to have with me today two design world fixtures who have supported small makers throughout their careers. First is Annalisa Taft-Gerston. After traveling the globe and immersing herself in a variety of cultures and colorful lifestyles, she came to understand the importance of the traditional crafts and the skills of local makers and artisans. She's taken that firsthand knowledge to her Alt for Living showroom in New York and Los Angeles, where she showcases an array of luxe and stunning handwoven rugs, lighting, furniture, and textiles, as well as hardware that is as beautiful as jewelry. Welcome, Annalise. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so glad you're here. I'm also pleased to have with us Brad Ford, who is not only a talented interior designer, but has his own showroom, Fair, at the New York Design Center where he showcases the work of numerous small makers of furniture, ceramics, metal, and leather, including Hudson Workshops, Andrew Finnegan, Coil and & Drift, and Black Creek Mercantile. He's also the force behind Field & Supply, a twice-a-year weekend get-together of more than 100 makers of design items, fashion, tabletop, art, and jewelry in Kingston, New York. And in response to the corona crisis, he has launched an innovative Instagram account, A Maker's Moment, to highlight the work of a diverse group of makers. Thanks for being here, Brad. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Before we talk about the crisis itself, I want to give a little background about how you both became so involved with artisans and makers. I want to start with you, Annalise. Just talk a little bit. How do you find the people that you feature in your showrooms? How do you hear about new talent? How do you approach them? How does it work? (laughs) If only there was a formula. (laughs) Wouldn't that be easy? Yes, wouldn't it? I mean, look, I've been in the industry a long time. I worked at a a similar showroom for over a decade before I started my own, which has now been open for 12 years. You know, this world is very small when it comes to artisans, and our industry is pretty small as well when it comes to, you know, real boutique stuff and high-end and uh, super tasteful. So, you know, I feel that once the the artisans find the right spot, they, they sort of find you. And honestly, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of artisans find me first, either through um, other artisans that recommend them or just from word of mouth. Certainly, I'm getting a lot more artisans contacting me recently on Instagram. Right. So that's well, a great have... platform for, for young artisans that don't have businesses, you know, up and running yet. Right. 
And you have a great Instagram account, which anybody who doesn't follow you should. Thank you. I I love it. I, I absolutely love Instagram. And then lastly, you know, going to all the fairs that are out there or that were before this crisis, you know, like Field and Supply and uh, Maison Objet. And, you know, I'm very disappointed that I wasn't able to go. I was going to go for my first time to uh, Milan, you know, for Salone. And, you know, even legends, you know, artisans go there as well in Los Angeles and try and meet the applicable showrooms to show their, to show their art. Right. So, Brad, I wanted to ask you, you know, when I got into the business, we won't go into how many years ago that was. One of the complaints I heard all the time was that design industry was losing talented craftsmen and their skills. And yet you seem to have found an amazing assortment of really talented craftsmen and in a variety of styles. I mean, in, at FAIR, you, you and Annalise both at all for living take a more modern take on the craftsmanship and, and the look of that. But how did you go about finding all these people and what came first? Was it the show? Was you discovering these artists, the showroom? How did it go? You know, it's, it's sort of similar to Annalise's story. I've been in this business for years as an interior designer, had always really been attracted to craft even when I was a kid. You know, I, I'm from a small town in Arkansas, and that was really my first exposure to design was arts and crafts fairs. And so I had just always really responded to artisans. And when I moved to New York, I had an opportunity to work for Jed Johnson and Alan Watsonberg. And they also were really into arts and crafts. And I remember, you know, they had some incredible stickly furniture. Yes, I remember that moment very well. um, And so I think that just sort of reiterated my interest and passion for craftsmanship. And then, you know, for certain projects, I would seek out people to execute certain things and got to know people. But I think also the big thing was going to fairs and design fairs. And I would always see a lot of stuff, but then there would be like, you know, maybe five or 10% of folks that were doing really beautiful work, but it was getting lost. And I just kept thinking, I wish I could somehow collect all of those different people that I see at different fairs and somehow bring them together. And that's really how Field and Supply was started was I thought, why not just reach out to some of these people and see if they're interested in starting something. And the first time we did it, we just had such a great response. How many years ago was that? Gosh, Michael, I knew you were going to ask me that. I think it's like (laughs) six or seven years ago. And so, you know, we just continued to do it each year and i think every time we did it we got more interest from craftsmanship i mean from crafts people that wanted to be a part of it uh people that wanted to come and attend the fair and then jim Druckmann from new york design center approached me and said you know i really think you should have a, a more permanent presence and i just said jim i have absolutely zero interest in doing that i mean i'd never even thought about famous last words uh, yeah <laughs> showroom and um and the more he, you know, the more I said no, the more incentives he gave me to where I just would have been foolish not to have tried it and, and done it. And so we uh, opened, I think that's been maybe five, almost five years ago. And, and again, it just, you know, I think the, the industry really responded to sort of this fresh outlook on options 
for elevated design that was, you know, made by hand. To me, it just has so much more soul pieces that are done by hand than a lot of things that you can get from a manufacturer. Right. Well, it's interesting to me that both of you take a very sort of modernist approach to crafts. I mean, a lot of people think crafts, they think, you know, oh, hooked rugs or used quilts, all of which personally I love, but it's not been at the forefront of of interior design, shall we say. But you guys have brought crafts to the forefront. And to me, that's incredibly impressive. And it's like, how much of that was the artisans and designers themselves already doing that look? Or how much did you encourage them? So Annalise, why don't you answer that in terms of, you know, you have like Chapa's textiles, you have people that you work with at a very high level. Was that their own inclination? Was it a merging of the two of you for your showrooms, what you wanted for the showroom? Um, no, I wish I could take credit for that, <laughs> but um, they've all been most likely doing it for years. However, there's a lot of collaboration when it comes to, I am the front line to show product to designers and my feedback is important to the artisans because they want to know what is it that the designers are looking for. So a lot of times my uh, artisans will come to me and say, what do you think of this new palette? Or what do you think of this new weave? Or what do you think about this idea? And, you know, I very candidly will tell them yes or no, I think it's going to work. And I think that they appreciate that. You know, once you find the chemistry between the showroom and the artisan, I think that's where the real magic happens is where you can bounce ideas off of another person. So a little bit of a collaboration, more of a, yeah, so you give guidance in a way, like this is something you think would be good for the market. Maybe yes, not that. Absolutely. Right. Right. And Brad, how about you? I completely agree. It's, you know, one of the reasons I was attracted to certain people was because of the aesthetic that they had already developed. But when, you know, once we started working together, I very much became almost like an editor with them showing me things and being on the other side of the industry as a designer, I I think I have a pretty good sense of, you know, what people re- respond to at what price points also. And so we talk a lot about margins right. and, you know, we certainly don't ever want someone to develop something that is going to price themselves out of the market. And so, you know, not only do we talk about the aesthetic of things, but we definitely talk about pricing a lot. Uh, um, Annalise, I'm sure you do that as well. I do. I'm known for really expensive products. So. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, can you get price out of Annalise's market? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I have an artist from Paris that gilds gold yarns and weaves it. So, you know, it's so beautiful. Does it sell a lot? No. But, you know, I think, too, that sometimes the the unusual pieces that they get to do, that's what keeps them sort of moving and creating every day. So, you know, yes, it's a business. And yes, it's all about margins. I totally agree, Brad. But on the flip side of it, I want to make sure that they feel that they have that that space to create and feel motivated so that... I'll take care of the business part and they can take care of the creativity. And again, it's, it's, there's a sweet spot in the middle, but again, I'm, I'm not the go-to person to ask necessarily for price point because. <laughs> yeah. <You're> elevated design, <laughs> elevated price point. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. 
But how much of it, and for both of you, how much of it of your business do you work work with other designers? Like they come to the showroom and they say, oh, I love this bench, but I, I needed eight feet as opposed to six feet. Is that something that you're yeah, happy that, to do? Absolutely. I, and I think that's one of the reasons that people have really responded to, to the showroom is because they can come and do almost anything custom. You know, we, we do carry some, a few manufacturers from right. Denmark and um, Japan, and even some of those can do custom, you know, sizes right. and finishes right. uh, to an extent. But, you know, we, we really try to work with people on whatever their needs are. And do you think there's a broader acceptance now for handmade? Because for a while it was kind of almost out of fashion, I would say. I do agree with you that it's been a uh, that I think a lot of people think of the word craft as being homespun or hook rugs and and I think there has been a bit of a education to to the consumer about the fact that craftsmanship can be elevated and it can be really beautiful and modern and work in a number of contexts and I think that that's a message that still has to be reiterated over and over again but fortunately I think People are starting to respond to that. I think they respond to the narrative and the storytelling behind craftsmanship. And I think that that's something that people just like being able to tell, you know, people that come over about, like, you see that table right there, that the slab that it was made of comes from a 150-year-old tree, and it took this many hours to mill. And I think that there's something that people respond to about that. Yeah, I'm a big believer in narrative. I mean, that's what I think magazines are good at, too. Or this kind of thing is telling people people like to have a story to tell when they present absolutely it gives a connection to their works but Annalise do you find that your clients your designer clients also want to have that story as well I mean you do a lot of stuff sort of private label do, do you explain to them you know how you like your hardware it just always strikes me as you have the most beautiful hardware it really is like jewelry do they want to know the story behind that how it's cast or whatever what the materials are they do. And, and, and I encourage the story to the designer to pass it through to the end user because the stories are beautiful. Like, for instance, I have a rug line where it's made from all women weavers in Oaxaca out of their homes, out of marigolds and all natural dyes and indigos and, you know, from the beetle blood. Those stories in itself can actually make that choice for the end user where they could be looking at two separate things and the story itself can put them over the line. Right. Right. So, you know, on our Instagrams too, we, we talk a lot about the artisan stories. I'm very transparent with my artisans and I want their story to be heard. And I think it's very on trend. I hate saying that word, but I would say 90% of the designers that come to my showroom come there because they know that most of it is handmade. Right. They, they want that look and feel and they come to me for that. They go to other showrooms for other right. reasons, right? right? But handmade, I mean, there's just nothing different. They're right. so special. Right, right. And I think that more and more as information about design is disseminated so widely, you know, on Instagram in particular, and people see so much, I think the search for what's distinctive is even more important and a little harder, I would think, as well, to find something that's 
everything gets exposed at a certain point. So I think that having something unique or, or a maker who can do something special really enriches the design process in the design world. But of course, now at this moment, some of this wonderful stories I have to tell aren't so wonderful and aren't so happy. So that's why I'm thrilled to have you both here to talk about how can we help these makers make it through? Because I know like I've talked to a lot of designers and I know there's a big fear out there that they're going to commission something special, order something from a small firm, an individual maker, and they're very worried that these people might go out of business and their, their client's money will be lost. So mm-hmm. how do you address that issue? Brad, why don't we start with you? Well, when this all started to happen, I mean, within the first few days, we reached out to every one of our makers and just checked in to sort of gauge their temperature, what their capacity was going to be to continue working. And first of all, I think, and Annalise, I'm sure you would agree, but a lot of these makers are used to running a pretty tight ship, you know, and and being very lean. And they do it because they absolutely love it. You know, it's a passion for them. Right. Exactly. And so, so many people uh, that we spoke to, I think we're, we're still being very optimistic and some were taking time to sort of think about new ideas. A lot of them actually have workrooms or studios within their home or next to their home so they could continue working. But I, I was surprised that overall I felt like the mood was pretty decent. Mm-hmm. But all that to say, we really wanted to make sure that they stayed relevant and that their stories stayed out there. And that's why we started the initiative, uh, A Maker Moment. And it really was to kind of help put a face to the name and so that people could get to know them a little bit more. And I, you know, even though these are some people that I've worked with for years, I'm still learning things about them. And, you know, some of the questions and the answers that they provided, I just thought were so fascinating and so sophisticated. And it just reiterated the fact that, you know, a lot of these makers are just so incredibly smart and talented and well-rounded and have such cultural interests that we can all learn from. And so it's been, it's been really cool. I even look forward to each one that comes out every day, reading what their answers are and, and learning a little bit more about them. It's a great initiative. You know, I love it too. And I would advise all the listeners to really sign on to it because you learn so much and you see new product and new design ideas. And I think it's great, but it must be a lot of work, Brad. Michael, I think people would think that it would be, but we set it up really quickly in a, with a template and a series of questions that sort of rotate. And so the actual work is on the maker's part to just answer the questions. And then we just kind of you know, fill it in. That's so very it's, smart. it's not nearly okay. as complicated as it, as, as it might well, look. Well, it's very impressive. It's very impressive. I really Thank enjoy you. it. Thank you. Hi, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the Cherish podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish, and I'm just going to take a quick second to give you the inside scoop on our Cherish trade program. Professional designers are invited to join our program to access really great benefits like net pricing and a special trade-only customer service team. And new this year, we're introducing a loyalty program where designers earn $75 in cash for every $5,000 they spend on Cherish. We hope you'll join us. You can do so by visiting cherish.com backslash trade. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade. Now back to the show. Now, Annalise, I want to ask you, because 
as we were saying, your price point, the designers are putting down a hefty chunk of change on behalf of their clients. Have you experienced any like nervousness or resistance in this time? You know, some projects have been canceled or postponed. You know, construction is at a standstill in a lot of the country. So how are your designer clients and their clients feeling about it? Well, you know, I actually learned a lot from 9-11. Mm-hmm had a similar impact uh, immediately on the industry. So I was pretty well prepared in how I was going to deliver information, how I was going to make my clients feel that they can trust, that they're supported, and that we're all in this together and we're moving forward, right? So literally from the beginning, I knew what I had to do. So I immediately started doing videos on Instagram, speaking to my clients and telling them the realities of what is happening in the world, you know, and it's going to be a long process that we will be informing them as we, you know, get the information. It's all moving targets. I think that for most people, in general, in all businesses, the biggest fear is the unknown. So even if it's bad news, it's news for them to be able to absorb and have conversations about with the end users and come up with a plan. We have been very fortunate through this pandemic with our vendors and our artisans. Just like Brad said, they they are used to living tightly. And we just talk to them every day. You know, a lot of the the issues are not even that we can't provide the product. A lot of the issues are that they can't even weave right now because they're in lockdown through all these other countries. The other issue is, is they won't even ship these types of goods into our country right now because they're, you know, they're concentrating more on getting in, you know, the essential things from other countries and it's complicated, but I think that the best thing that we have been doing and particularly my team has been so great about it is everyone is communicating day to day, talking about it, you know, whatever the the, the designer wants to do, if they feel more comfortable giving a 25% deposit or they don't want to, you know, I'm telling them that it's okay if they want to wait on the balance until I know I can get tracking information. What's been really interesting is I've had materials sitting in warehouses in China, in Nepal, in India that are have been ready for weeks right. and they just can't get on the flight. Right. So, you know, it's just, it's, we have to take it day by day. And the most important thing is that everyone has to support one another and know that we will get through this together. Right. It, it just is going to take a little bit more right. time and patience. Right. Now, one of the ways that we could support these artisans, of, and I just want to know if you're thinking about this, is expanding their audience. You know, I mean, both of you deal to the trade. Yeah. But are you thinking or rethinking how you're going to sell, promote in the future? Because, you know, the more people who know about this work is going to want it. We had already started to work on uh, e-commerce unit of field and supply Mm -hmm. so that people could start to buy directly from the makers. Um, And that's a, it's something that we kind of put on the fast track after this happened, because 
we also aren't quite sure if we're going to be able to have the fair this summer. Right. We've, we've postponed right. it to the end yes. of July, and we're trying to be cautiously optimistic. Right. We don't want to call it yet because so many of our vendors depend on that for income. And it's also uh, a huge boon to the town of Kingston. Absolutely. I met your ma- I met the mayor of Kingston. I know. And it, the last he's, time. He's, he's so great. lovely. He's and it is right. a big economic boost for the community. Right. And so we're being cautiously optimistic about that. But with the e-commerce part of the site, we're also trying to look at different tools to have almost like a virtual fair so that you would actually be able to interact with the artisans that weekend through the website. And we, there are all sorts of really cool tools that we're working on. And, you know, again, we're just, we just want to make sure that everyone's name stays out there, that their work is being promoted and that they stay relevant. And um, so to answer your question, yes, hopefully we will be able to open this up for more people to have access to beyond either our showroom or the fair itself, uh, the weekends in Kingston. Well, then I think, you know, Maker's Moment is a big step in that direction. Annalise, what about you? Are you rethinking your business? How you approach things? Well, Michael, I'm doing that every day anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Such a hard worker you are. I'm always thinking about the next thing. This has been an incredible experience. There's been a lot of silver lining to COVID-19. You know, I, like Brad, you said, you know, I've, I've been working more hand in hand with my staff, with my accountant, bookkeepers, um, artisans, vendors, really getting more hands on. And I'm learning so much more about them. You know, I've been doing this for 22 years and I'm still learning so much. I wanted to like to move beyond the crisis because let's hope and pray that at some point in the not too distant future, we will be able to move beyond the crisis. Yeah. So what do you guys think about the direction of design in terms of crafts and handmade things? Do you think it's going to continue on in the same vein? Do you think they're, you know, do you think artisans are rethinking in light of the crisis now what, what they want to do? Have you seen any, anybody you've talked to or seen any evidence that there's going to be changes or a new direction or things coming back into style that are out of style? What's your bigger picture? Annalise, why don't you go first? (laughs) Well, it's funny you say that. So I'm doing this new thing called Textile Tuesday, and I'm doing kind of what we're doing right now, recorded, um, you know, Zoom to post on our IGTV, which is just conversations with our vendors so they can get to know them a little bit more and they can talk about their experiences and so forth. But just yesterday, you know, one of my fabric designers, she's making beautiful masks to sell. She started just to be giving them to the, you know, the health workers and, you know, they're doing really well and it's making her rethink a little bit about how she could maybe expand out of home a little bit and what she can, what she can do with her hands and her mind. So I I do, Michael, I do think that everybody is starting to think about their businesses differently, uh, the world differently, uh, this industry differently. And artisans are survivors. They're artists. But yeah, I think everyone's thinking about it differently. And I think you're going to have some really exciting things to write about. Good. And Brad, what do you see? You know, I am trying to be very optimistic, cautiously, but also be realistic. I do think that out of 
you know, anytime there's sort of like deprivation, there's incredible innovation. Right. And I just have no doubt that all of these artisans' minds are spinning and coming up with new ideas and new concepts. I know even for me, like we've really like leaned into this and tried to figure out new innovative ways to to promote our business and to communicate with clients. And so I just feel like we're going to get through this. It's going to be lean and it's going to be a little hairy in the next few months. But I do think that we'll come out on the other side of it probably better and stronger and with a lot you know, more interesting ideas in the furniture industry. And, I, and this is the thing. I don't think craftsmanship is going anywhere. And I think, if anything, it will become even more popular just because, like I said, I think people are really responding to the narrative aspect of it and uh, sort of the idiosyncratic parts of, that you get with craftsmanship, whether it's every piece is different, even if they make the same piece over and over. It's just it's inevitable that, that it's going to be different, either from a knot in the wood or the sanding or the, the weave. And I think that there's something really cool about that. Well, one of the things that's impressed me during this corona crisis is how people have reached out, the way you guys have each reached out to your artisans and your clients. And I think the design community is reaching out to each other. And I think that that bodes really well for this very personal, handmade, whether it's, you know, a hooked rug, a traditional hooked rug, or something as sleek as some of the artisans that you represent or Annalisa, you brought. I think that there's this feeling that, you know, something handmade does connect you to a person. And I think we all, at this point, especially being in our homes isolated, long for that kind of connection. And I don't think that's going to disappear once the restrictions of corona have been loosened. So I think that bodes really well for what you guys are doing. I just wanted to have a sense, do you guys feel that it's a time to be looking for new people? Are you shrinking back a little? How do you see the next year of your showrooms? How do you see that evolving? And Lisa, do you think that the market's going to expand or you, are you playing it uh, a little more conservative? Well, I'm pretty conservative in general when it comes to, you know, keeping it lean. I don't know about Harry. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, all my baristas are gone, you mm-hmm. know, which was really sad. I did have to lean up a little bit. And again, another silver lining in this has exposed me to see, you know, where we can be lean and where we, what maybe we might need more of in the future. Um, so I'm Definitely going to be more conservative because I too am a realist and I, you know, I see what's going on in the world. This is a going to be a dance of in and out of lockdowns, I think, for at least until we have the vaccine. So there's no need. I'm not going to be hiring anybody new, right. but maybe reshifting how people work, right? And 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 really looking internally in how we can, you know, maybe work with less people and be even more efficient. So, um, and that happened after 9-11 too, I think with a lot of companies is they, you know, especially with designers, it was so bad. They had to let a lot of their staff go and they didn't really hire it back. They just figured out a new way of working. Right. 
Well, as a designer said to me at the time, that was the most horrible thing to lay off people after 9-11. And so then even when they got busy a few years later, they were hesitant to hire new people just because they didn't want to go through the trauma of having to lay them off if something should happen to them. So it does make you more conservative. Yeah, 100%. But like, you know, Los Angeles, you know, we're doing really well there. I only have one employee, you know, and he has occasionally... You know, we have a, a temp, a great temp service that sends somebody in to support him. But, you know, I've learned new ways in the past five years of how how to make things work without. Well, how about this? How about expanding without right. over expanding? Right. So, right. Um, and I think from this, it's truly been a lesson of, you know, I detached myself a little bit from the business in the past couple of years, probably because I was so exhausted, but, you know, being back in the game and being the leader again and, and, and seeing and making sure that everything is working, you know, in unison, even though we're all working from different states and, you know, workplaces, it's really opened my eyes again to wanting to be back in it and to make sure that it's even greater than it ever was. Right. And Brad, how about you? Are you like, thinking of taking, I mean, your showroom is closed, obviously. Yeah, it's funny, Michael, because we I, we had just come back at the beginning of February from the Stockholm Design Fair, and we were so excited about the number of new artisans that we found there. And so, you know, we were about to place deposits on orders and uh, start promoting them, and, and we just you know, spoke to a lot of them and said, listen, we're still committed to having you be a part of our showroom. We may not be able to order as much right now that we'd like to. Are you comfortable with us going ahead and putting some of your product on the website, promoting it? And they all were, you know, eager to just go ahead and start the relationship, um, even if we didn't have to put as much money into it as we initially thought. Um, I still find people that I get excited about artisans that I'd like to represent. And I think, you know, we're all having to just help each other at this point. And um, I think, you know, I've always run a very, very tight, lean business. At this point, I can't let anybody go because they're running the business, right. you know? And so I think that there would definitely be ways to cut back in other ways you know, with what's new, what's next. For example, we may not have as many new product, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, we're just trying to be as creative as we can. And everyone's really, I mean, my team is just incredible and they're all working so hard to make sure that we get through this on the other side. And so it's pretty good right now. Yeah. Well, I think there is, as I was saying, a real desire and passion for the kinds of work that you guys show and promote. And I think you bring so much to the design industry. And, you know, we really appreciate everything you do. And we want to help you get through this so you can help your artisans to get through this. Because, you know, as we were saying, once those skills are gone, they're gone. And once those makers aren't here anymore, if they don't, have a successful business and can pass on their traditions and their skills and their knowledge, the design world will be a lot less than it has been in the past. And you guys have really brought craftsmanship to such a high level of visibility. I think you've done a, a great, great service for the design industry. So I personally want to thank you and I know our listeners. I want to thank my wonderful guests, Annalisa Taft-Gersten and Brad Ford. And I want to thank you all for listening to the Cherish Podcast. 
Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening to the Cherish Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or even better, go to the iTunes store and post a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and edited by Max Solomon of Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time. <laughs>